Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and I'm really glad you could join us today for a conversation follow-up with Mr. Curtis Stewart, one of my favorite violinists, artists, and musicians here in New York City. We had a chance to sit down and revisit a bunch of the topics that we chatted about when we first chatted about over a year ago, right after his album came out, uh, Of Colors. And it had rave reviews from many areas in the press and lots of great feedback, uh, not only from fellow musicians, but also from the industry. And, uh, you know, Curtis has been really busy. He has been touring with Bruce Springsteen and Stevie Wonder. He's appeared on The Colbert Show during election season as the improvising string quartet during the debates between Trump and Hillary Clinton. And he is continuing work with that quartet. They have so many cool things happening. And uh, I just really wanted to talk to Curtis because he's such a thoughtful and considered speaker and has a lot of great thoughts to share. He's working on some new social activism type projects and uh, some stuff that you can get involved with if you're interested. So I'll let you listen to the interview and then we'll follow up with a few little tidbits about how you can get involved with what we're talking about. So please enjoy a follow-up conversation with one of my favorite people, Mr. Curtis Stewart. So what's up? How are you? I'm good, man. It's like, it's almost summer. It's like trying to be summer, but my uh, quartet residency is done and I'm starting writing all this new music and stuff. So everything's good. Awesome. Um, Well, thanks for taking the time to talk. I just, I, when I was going through the interviews and I, listened through yours again i was like man there was like a bunch of stuff in there that we should have actually talked about more (laughs) yeah sure and i was like oh well we could maybe we can just do like a follow-up so that sounds good cool so curtis um what's been going on since last time we you talked to the audience which was around the time when your record came out and there's you i know all the stuff with public quartet was about to start at the uh yeah MoMA there. Yeah, so we um, we had our residency over at the museum, uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art, and we did around six official shows in various galleries, uh, including one with James Carter. We just celebrated the 100th birthday of Thelonious Monk, um, and we arranged a whole bunch of kind of um, tunes that are you know very famous and others that are not so well known, like Introspection and some other, and uh, Ugly Beauty. I mean, that's super famous, but... We were um, <clears throat> doing a bunch of arrangements, with, and James jumped on board. We did a show at the Detroit Institute of the Arts, and then we did a show. It was sold out house over at the, the Met. It was super fun. Um, and, yeah, it's been a blast. It's been a crazy year. I've been writing a whole bunch of new music in lieu of the political um, era that we're in right now, uh, holding a bunch of parties called Social Action Parties. Uh, we're about to have our second one this Friday, uh, June 2nd, here in New York City, where artists and organizations get together and brainstorm what we can do to support each other, how artists can be a mouthpiece for um, an organization, and how an organization can give um, just some kind of meaning and purpose for the art that we make. Wow. Um, so what kind of ideas have you guys come up with in the first just kind of beginnings of those so the last 
one we did was in the end of April, I believe, and we worked with uh, this organization called The Dream Unfinished, which is an activist orchestra here in New York. And so we came up with ideas for curating what musicians can do to curate uh, diverse um, composers in an authentic way. Uh, so really choosing music that speaks to you, but also you know speaks for various voices. Um, also, we talked about um, the problems of funding and how spaces, even though they seem like they're down to support a cause, kind of obfuscate that um, that forward motion by charging really exorbitant prices. And so how to talk to people on boards and get in touch with various people to really move, move things forward. <clears throat> uh, this next one, we're highlighting the Immigrant Defense Project. And so we're talking about... Um, this organization is particularly interesting because uh, they focus on not so much uh, immigrant uh, laws for immigrants that are here, but actually defending immigrants that have been charged of a misdemeanor or some kind of slight crime who are like on the verge of being deported. So they tell the stories of these immigrants. And so as artists, we can totally help to tell those stories and spread the word and even reach out to people who are not on board with our ideas, you know, in the spaces that we play. And um, just talking about how artists can be empowered to actually have a thought and put it out there in an authentic way and not feel like a political statement is somehow getting in the way of the art form. Hmm. Is, has there been any, um, like, concrete kind of action steps that you guys have been trying to offer yeah. as solutions? Yep. So far, we've we've had some fun. We're having a fundraiser for the Immigrant Defense Project. We had a slight fundraiser for the Dream Unfinished. We hooked up various organizations, outside organizations, to the Dream Unfinished, and so they can work projects with each other. Uh, we networked various uh, musicians with those different organizations, and they're all kind of starting to intertwine. I've already gotten three or four emails from different people who want other people's contact, and they're going to collaborate on stuff. Amazing. Uh, we're writing letters. We have a whole letter writing portion of the party where we're writing letters to our New York senators and senators in different states. Um, yeah, there's, there's several other things, but uh, it's starting to bubble. It's nice. That's cool. So is it the type of thing that's kind of you want to keep it to your circle or is you kind of trying to grow it, you know, to any musicians that want to be involved? Um, so I think, well... Ideally, I would love for you know various musicians to be holding this thing in wherever they live. Um, I mean, it's it's right now we're keeping it pretty core. So the first one I kind of invited specific people who I knew would be interested just to create a, a buzz and to create a spirit in the room. Mm -hmm. This next one we're opening up to friends of friends, and I sent out a Facebook link. The one after that we're gonna I'm gonna probably reach out to people to send their invites out to their so we're like spreading the the um the uh, circle and then i would love to start like having things where we like pop up on various corners either in the city or in new jersey or the tri-state area where we like little hit and run um action parties where we're playing music and making a little statement and then get out um and then from there hopefully that'll we can like start having little seedling action parties for people who are um, inspired to do so. But yeah, it's, it's basically open to the public and whoever, whoever wants to come in and play something, uh, you know, and has a thought that they want to send out there. Like I'm totally down to have them come join. So what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you about that? 
Um, on Facebook, I have there's a page called Social Action Party. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can message us there. You can also message me at um, on Facebook or through my email, which you can find on my website, curtisjstewart.com. Um, and if you just check out the contact, my email is there. Awesome, man. I I know I saw the invites for those, and I haven't been able to make it yet, but it's on my my list yeah. of things to. Well, that's the nice thing. Everybody kind of wants to do it. That's great. You know, I think you know that's the feeling in New York, at least. Everybody wants to do something, and so you know it'll happen. It's just uh, got to get the ball, snowball going. Yeah, man. Well, I guess that kind of segues into something that I think maybe some people might have seen you on TV during election season with the quartet. Yes. Right. Uh, what What was that whole experience doing the live uh, live string quartet improvisations with the election stuff? Yeah, right. So we we improvised during the entire second debate uh, between Hillary and Trump, and so <laughs> we obviously we if you watch it, we have a very clear <laughs> opinion about the various uh, <laughs> people debating. Um, but that was crazy, improvising for 90 minutes straight. I mean, we had to come up with various themes that we would do for potential topics. And, you know, I mean, for those debates, they basically just say the same thing they've said all year. So right. not, you're not <laughs> totally taken by surprise. It's just the you're basically highlighting the rhythm and energy of their interaction. So, for example, Trump's, like, utter, like, interjections in, in Hillary's speeches and and Hillary's for Trump as well, but you know that just the the energy with which they interrupt and how they go back and forth and how nobody's really trying to actually debate and no one's really trying to talk and we try to capture that with our improvisations going back and forth and the different sides of the quartet and different themes kind of like um, juxtaposed either next to each other or at the same time. And did you did you guys have any kind of anything come from it? Does anything come? Yeah, everybody. We are now the we are now the debate quartet. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's like, oh, you're the quartet that was on the late show, right? It's like, yeah, that's us. But <laughs> yeah, so that that's cool. So everywhere we go, people kind of hear that about us, which is nice. And then it's kind of like an opening the door to like, oh, you're cool. And then we tell them about all our projects at the Met and doing improvisation with classical music and combining styles and commissioning like young composers we've got we have a uh, composer competition called public access which has had about 300 um, applicants in the last two and a half years wow now we're commissioning three composers to write new pieces for public quartet so we're just you know trying to push it forward and so it's like a nice little doorway like oh it's safe we're safe it's fun and safe with public quartet (laughs) but we're like trying to also take it to that next place wherever that may be Mm mm-hmm and uh, so what what else is happening with the quartet? The residency is done, so what's kind of on the horizon beyond these yeah. uh, commissions? So uh, we have a residency at Avalok Farm, which is up in New Hampshire this okay. July and August. Uh, we also have a residency at the Joyce Theater with LA Dance Project, which is an awesome contemporary dance um, troupe from LA, obviously. And they're, we're playing uh, Reich, Steve Reich, Reich um, triple quartet as well as uh, Philip Glass third quartet which are really beautiful pieces I hadn't really checked those out that much because I'm you know I haven't really been into minimalist minimalism that much but these pieces are beautiful and LA Dance Company is dope um, 
next year we have some potential premieres uh, in around uh, at this venue in Washington D.C. as well as a couple. Oh, we have a show at Wolf Trap next year celebrating John Crigliano's 80th birthday, playing his quartet, which is a monster. We just met up with him the other day. Um, this is through Laura St. John, who's this really virtuosic um, uh, violinist. And we were just chatting and hanging out and talking about inspirations. And his dad is also a violinist, was the concertmaster of the New York Phil back in the day. And so we were talking about fathers being... Um, you know, in the scene and learning from dads and doing all the things. Mm-hmm. Man, so that brings up a kind of an interesting question that I just kind of have and I'm curious about. It seems like, you know, like in the, I guess, quote-unquote classical side of music, the music world, like collaboration is so much more organized and there's people want to do different cool kinds of projects Mm-hmm. And I, and uh, I wonder how you see that as a person that is involved in lots of different kinds of music. Like, why do you think like in that way that that style of music, like that your string quartet is able to like do so many cool things? Whereas like when you look at a lot of like jazz projects, you know, it's a lot. I, I don't see the same kind of interest in various projects. And just mm-hmm. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but just kind of in general. Interesting. Well, I think there's been a swing in the jazz world towards project-based work. So, like, album albums have all these um, concepts behind it, like the last Jack DeJohnette album in terms of – and Hudson, and there's, like, music from the Hudson. And uh, also Jack Quartet and the LaBeouf Brothers just did this project, I mean, about, you know, involving quartets and jazz composers. There's the Righteous Girls who um, <clears throat> commissioned Ambrose Akinmusiri and various other uh, jazz composers to write for them. I think it's also, you know, that's where money is. You know, people, grants are looking for these interesting intersections of composers and musicians. And so, you know, it's just like people are trying to team up to get, get, to get their music funded so that they can actually write it sustainably. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily an attitude thing. Uh, for example, James Carter was like super down to play. He came. We had this one rehearsal, and we just started playing as if we had been playing together for years and years. I mean, his ears are just ridiculous, and um, the spirit was there. Um, I don't know. I don't know that there's necessarily a division. I think in the classical music world, it's maybe just more highlighted in terms of two groups coming together, as opposed to in the jazz world, there's like a featured soloist coming to play. You know. Sure. And it's, less, it's less about bands and more about individuals in the jazz thing. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. I, I don't know. I just, I I wonder. I mean, yeah, I feel like there's people that are doing things like that, but it seems just from an outsider's perspective, like, you know, it's like much more established in terms of, you know, like even, even having groups like yours that like co- that commission composers to do things and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just an interesting like, it seems much more community oriented, and then sometimes in jazz it gets to be a little bit about like me, 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 me. It's my project. Exactly. I mean, yeah, right. It's I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe it also has to do with just the nature of the this the of improvisation versus reading somebody's music. Like a classical musician 
is very much geared like, oh, I'm, I am playing a composer's work in general. Most classical musicians have that mindset. Whereas a jazz musician is thinking that in terms of like if I choose this Wayne Shorter tune, I'm listening to all these recordings and the history of that tune, but you're trying to do it with your voice is the idea. That's like the primary idea as opposed to, you know, I don't know, maybe I feel like I might be saying the wrong thing right now, but like me, I don't know that you're thinking about serving Wayne Shorter's vision of uh, whatever tune, you know, ESP versus, you know, Oh, I'm playing this John Adams piece, so I want to like. I'm trying to be subservient, subservient to that composer's vision at this moment, and my voice is inside of that composer's voice, as opposed to like putting your stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there's already a like a natural sense of collaboration in a way. Sure. As opposed to you know shining out with the jazz thing, but uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting, just because. I guess because jazz is becoming more and more, you know, in a similar like institutionalized kind of right situation like classical music is, you know, it's becoming similarly non-popular, you know. <laughs> However, you know what I mean, like it's just not mainstream, I guess, not not popular, but I guess that's the same thing. But um yeah, interesting. It's well, just an interesting band together. They're like, "Oh guys, come on. <laughs> Jump on the boat." <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but you know like I, I mean i think it's the way that you know we can create things like you're you know have this the social action party thing and like even outside of music like people have to come together i think to like really make things happen and sometimes yeah like we get too into these like silos of like genre or like it's my gig and this and that and well, I think that's how a music ends up starting. It's like you end up just hanging out. Oh, it's like, oh, you play that instrument, I play this. Oh, we're jamming. Oh, this is dope. Like, let's keep playing. And people hear you doing that, and they want to be a part of that hang. And then it builds and builds and and turns into a style because, you know, you're either in or you're out of the hang. You're either, you know, it becomes exclusive. Sure. And then that exclusivity over years and years and recordings and, like, history, turn, like, kind of crystallizes that into an institution. Um, and that's where it dies. That's my opinion. <laughs> no, I mean, you're I like, totally right. There's a certain power there because, you know, more people with money want to support that and keep it alive. But they also like that tends to museumify things because like people from the outside are trying to support this music, which is alive and wants to be alive and change and be rough and be raw. Um, but you know, the, people who are supporting it want what they heard yesterday or five years ago or 10 years ago because that's what they want to support that they're putting money into this and so it's like hard to keep it fresh and you know honestly we ran the person who book who the met has been so beautiful about that you know they have this support system but they also want to push something new they want to find like a a voice for this classical music and you know we you know we had a sold out house on on last Friday or whenever that was, and people were like we had I mean I'm not bragging or anything, but the spirit in the room was beautiful. People were on their feet clapping for minutes and minutes. It's like we don't have anything else to play for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah, it was so beautiful. Like the spirit in that room, just because they they could I think they could feel that we were putting ourselves out there in a way we weren't trying to do what we you know what we've heard before we were like really vulnerable not that we were doing anything new it may have what we were playing may have been done already 
but <clears throat> we hadn't done it before and we hadn't heard it before and we're trying to push it forward and like organization institutions like the Met who are supporting that kind of work are like a dime a do- you know not a dime a dozen the opposite <laughs> right They're rare so yeah no you're totally right you know you're totally right it's that uh, yeah to me like in jazz terms it's like this the whole like nostalgia thing versus right. trying to like create some new something new because I think yeah that's just a you know it's a interesting conversation and I think that uh, maybe there's just not yet you know the same kind of established knowledge that we need to you know have institutions that are going to support it in that way yet right I mean nostalgia is beautiful like I don't know Juilliard Jazz did this thing with uh um, shoot, not poor game best, but uh, blue, uh, arg, not kind of blue, but the, the Miles Davis thing with like the brass ensemble. Oh shoot, I'm spacing out on it. But it was beautiful to like you know harken back, you know, and that's what classical music is about too. Like oh, mm-hmm. let's play arms like that back in the day. You know, it's this beautiful thing, but it's just part. Of, that's just part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know? So some other stuff that I kind of wanted to follow up on was those music videos that you made <laughs> those music videos because yeah. there's a couple they were cool they're, i liked them i don't they're know three they're pretty cool they're pretty i don't know yeah i was having a having a moment creative moment for sure yeah there's a lot of stuff that happened then so i think you were saying then that one of them was being entered into like a film festival or was a finalist in a film yeah, festival it was finalist in, in the in it was shown at the Inwood Film Festival, Dance Film Festival, and it was all around the world, these um, Swedish dancers and filmmakers were, it was in festivals all around the world, um, and it was a feature of my uh, solo violin piece, Gone. Uh, it was very beautiful. I mean, what they did with it was, I I, told, I couldn't stop seeing <laughs> their images. I was like, ah, you've changed my piece for me. <laughs> but oh, it's, man. It's in a good way, you know, it's beautiful what they've done. Um, Julia Bankston is the choreographer and uh, dancer for that. And so with the, with those three videos, did you see like any kind of additional traction with any of that in terms of from a quote unquote success, like feeling good about? Um, I definitely feel good about it because it's something I can put on my website as an interesting, interesting, I can put in my email, whatever signature. So like, if you want to see my music, you can see that. Um, I found because the videos themselves were very like kind of artsy and creative. Um, they didn't do what I wanted them to do, which is to reach out to that like music video vibe thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I found them super interesting and I look back and I'm like, wow, this is super interesting from like a art artist's perspective. Um, but the artist thing, uh, it, it, I was trying to, I was, that's not, I didn't think, you know, I just, I hired the people that were too good at what they did. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> extremely creative and artsy. They did exactly what I wanted. They did what I saw, but it wasn't necessarily a success in that, like it doesn't have, Oh, none of them have over like a thousand views or anything like that. So they, and also I didn't have a PR team pushing those videos specifically to, to video blogs specifically, you know, sure. It got a whole bunch of great, great reviews. And like from the music perspective, I think the album was a super success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so 
uh, I, but I did actually create some just like homemade videos of my band playing new music. I'm writing all these new songs right. just really for this action party and also just in general. Um, and those are doing great. Like people, I made a whole playlist of them. They're very like, you know, it's like, oh, we're just in my house jamming, mm-hmm. you know, super cost effective. And those I think are really working in terms of just like this, this is what this music sounds like. This is what the vibe is like. Um, you know, if you want me to come play in your venue, this is, this is what it'll be like. Right. Right. Um, how many, of the, how many of those do you have now? Um, I have probably four. And then I have three or four with um, just violin and piano. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so it's just jazz standards done in a kind of like, you know, <laughs> emo. Yeah. Way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so if they if people go to YouTube and search, what, Curtis Stewart? Yeah, Curtis J. Stewart or um, Curtis J. Stewart violin. Mm-hmm. The, all the playlists will come up. And what's the the band pro- project has a name, right? Um, no? It has had many names, but right now it's just the Curtis Stewart Ensemble. Okay. It, at one point it was called Reflections. Um, now, it, then at another point it was called something else. I don't know. You know, bands, bands have many names. But right now I'm just sticking with my name. Got it. Um, cool. So in our last talk, you mentioned uh, that the, that the music on the record kind of asks the question, what does it mean to be searching? Mm. I don't know if you remember saying that at all or thinking about anything like that, but, uh, never, to, I've never had that thought in my life. <laughs> so no, I'm constantly doing that. You know, what, what does that, what does that really mean to you? Like artistically and musically from like kind of a day to day kind of practical standpoint of musicianship to be searching. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to be searching? I think it means being uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it means forgetting I th- and trying to remember. I think it means um, having a vision, an idea, and, you know, it's like, I think it means being obsessive and unwilling to stop trying and turning and, you know, make this thing that's in your head, like, come, come to life. I think it's about the joy of actually hearing what what you thought about like there's a thought and I'm now witnessing it either in its beauty or you know <laughs> you know being uh, being a disaster <laughs> <laughs> there's like a the beauty to like experiencing the disaster of your creativity it's like fun it's like ah oh, you know and you get to laugh at yourself um, I don't know I've been thinking about this I think I've I was I, you know you're always searching for your voice like what makes you you uh, but then you realize that it's like oh you know I was I was always I was always my voice it's actually about taking things away and just letting once you know what makes you distinct taking the things away that that are you're putting onto your voice so for example in that last album, a lot of the tunes I did were jazz standards and classical pieces, and in a way, and those are pieces I loved, and love. Uh, but in addition to that, it was like a type of trying to prove myself, like, oh, I can play giant steps, oh, I can play this Bach thing, oh, I can compose X, like, oh, I can do that, and that, you know, trying to set a legitimacy, mm-hmm. and um, 
uh, I think that while that is one um, guideline to framing your musical voice, but that can be an overpowering one. So, for example, trying to get get it right. Like, what is right when you're like just trying to express your musical opinion? What is right or wrong about that? I mean, obviously, there's the in tune, in time, faster, higher, louder principle. Um, but nobody wants to hear that. Like, you heard that the first time. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I also heard um, Stefan Grappelli play faster than that, or slower than that, or it actually sounds better when it's a little bit out of tune, or X Y Z. So there's all these things that are put onto uh, you being yourself. And so for me, searching right now is um, understanding that my musical perspective is valid and not, not reacting to the insecurities of trying to prove myself all the time. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, a very, very succinct answer. I've I've had a similar experience, like giving people my records, and then sometimes getting that reaction of like, oh, like it seems it's like, oh, it's cool. It just it seems kind of safe, and I'm just like, oh, really? Like I felt I felt like maybe I was. I was pushing it. I was pushing. Right. I felt I thought I was, but then when you really think about it, like for me at least, when I think about it more, I'm like, oh, I guess I was doing the same thing as you were saying, like, oh, I need to like I can play this fast tempo. Oh, I can play this high note. Oh, I can do this. Right. And it's uh, it's blinding. Yeah. Like you don't even know you're doing it. It's like, oh, I'm being creative. I'm reworking Bach. <laughs> Why though? <laughs> In addition to like it being a fun exercise, um, and it having a certain feeling, like you're you have to find yourself in this challenge. You know, uh, yeah, it can be blinding if you if you just get caught up in the ego challenge part of it. And it's so easy to do. Kinda. Yeah, it's so so easy. And and so also last time you were talking about how your some of your poetry was serving to try to eliminate abstraction in the music. Hmm. Um, in your mind, how do you do you relate the language and music together to give the listener a, like a better experience? And is it even better or worse for the listener to know that information or for them to draw inferences on their own without you telling them? Mm. I think my I I don't know that I succeeded in <laughs> making <laughs> less abstract <laughs> by adding my you know crazy poetry. I, I think it probably made it more abstract. I think it just made like there made a correlation. Okay. Like, oh, there are these words and there are these sounds, and yeah, the listener ends up finding their own selves in between those cracks. Um, because I listen back to the album and read the thing from time to time when you know when I want to be critical of myself, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what am I thinking about? <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, this doesn't match up with that at all, and this is like, this is a to- this feels totally different than I intended, and X Y Z. But I guess that's maybe that's a good thing, you know. It's just a way I find right now. I'm like really into trying to be intentional about what I'm trying to put out there in terms of a feeling and a style and aesthetic mm-hmm. and trying to understand how it comes off to people but then also you know letting it go and not really caring like you know right you put yourself out there you know you, I'm trying to give you something I'm trying to give the listener something and I'm interested in you know what you get hopefully hopefully you get you know a little tidbit of some kind of richness new new perspective 
So are you still trying to use some of your writing and poetry to inform your music or have you kind of moved in a new direction since then? Um, so th- that's mostly entering into my song writing and which has been hard going from poetry to songwriting because poetry is so free and I really don't like rhyming actually. So I trying to figure out what the meaning of rhyming is and like, you know, get my vocabulary up so that rhymes aren't corny. And, sure. um, it's just, a new, and so I'm trying to put these words into time and into pitch. Um, and so it's, you know, that's a nice exercise for me. Um, I also like, well, I might speak a poem before I perform a piece. Um, and I, and that, that creates a nice feeling for me because I enter a certain world as I'm speaking this poem, a rhythm of the words, um, an inflection of the words. And then as I play, I, I am attempting to maintain that space so like i'm not thinking about playing the violin anymore i'm thinking about what the what feeling i just had as i was speaking those words and letting that guide my musical choices as i play um in terms of writing poetry i've just been writing a whole bunch of music i'm like inspired to like light light some hearts and minds and try to i'm trying to figure out how to reach out to other audiences outside of this New York bubble, like where we all kind of agree. I mean, there's, we obviously, everybody has their own slant on things, but we all kind of agree on things. Mm-hmm. And I, but as artists, I kind of wonder if we're messing up, like, <laughs> or not we, but me, like, you know, you're on tour and you're out in wherever, um, you know, even upstate New York or somewhere out, you know, an outskirt of some city. And that's like an opportunity. It's a golden moment to have like, this connection with a listener. So we've had this connection abstract from any kind of politic or attitude or ism. And then from there, from that sense of connection, I can have my view and you can have your view and we can connect. Um, so I think I've been really inspired to just write words that tap into that and express a feeling that someone who doesn't believe in what I believe in might be able to uh, just hear, sure. even, if even if they're not convinced, you know, I, I want them to hear it and I want us to be human. I want to hear them. I want them to be human. Um, cause that's the only, I, that's the only way I see us going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I have to open a dialogue. So have you, have you tried doing that in those type of places yet? Um, I did it a little bit in Detroit. I was talking about the difference between classical music, classical composers and jazz composers. And there's this like feeling of like, Oh, you're one thing. You're another thing. Um, when in fact, all those composers were just hanging out. Like for example, Stravinsky would check out bird and who would check out monk who would, who recorded his solo piano pieces who Ligeti, a Hungarian composer heard those and wrote some solo piano pieces of his own. And it's like, everybody's influenced by everyone else there might be a different process and a different like lineage and a set set of influences, but the, all these composers are, and really the difference between being a legit classical composer and a, you know, illegitimate jazz composer is a set, you know, is access, <laughs> you know, these composers, you know, you know, you know, there are these years of tradition of like what you said, like people coming together and forming alliances and making money together and supporting each other. 
and these other composers were, you know, down in clubs trying to just make some music that, you know. Um, and so there's a set, you know, I spoke about that in Detroit. And uh, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get my bravery together. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, no. Get my thoughts sharp enough so that it, it's worth me saying something. Do you have Do you have more opportunity to, to talk to, you know, rural audiences coming up? Is that- I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to be in upstate New York, man. Woo! I'm going to be upstate New York at the beginning of July. I was there just in my travels. The actual festival that I'm going to is beautiful. It's in Alfred. It's a part of Alfred university, which mm-hmm. is a ceramics program. Um, but in traveling there, you know, you hear all these things, you hear people say stuff. You are like, ugh. I just, there's, uh, it's just, and I'm trying to, you know, I don't know that I want to have a political conversation with a random person on a bus, but, you know, if I end up going there, maybe I'll, I could play at a outside of the city venue and, you know, just me playing the violin, this person of color playing the violin in a classical way and a jazz way and all these other ways is in itself a statement. And then just having a specific type of thought and being a human and sharing my insecurities with people and sharing um, is what I'm trying to do. So I'm, I'm working on generating those opportunities. I haven't really been touring much on my own, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm working on it. I'll, I'll get there. I'm sure you will. Are you trying to get your project like out into the world? Are you kind of still focused on the quartet mostly or super focused on the quartet, super focused on teaching actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, my project I'm trying to get out via videos and social media. Um, and I'm working, I think in the next year or two, hopefully working towards getting it out. There's just so much money getting on the road, you know? Oh and yeah. Money and time. And sometimes it feels worth it. Sometimes it doesn't. So I'm trying to make it feel worth it no matter what, even if I play for three people, but I need to get my head together in terms of, you know, what that means. Sure. Um, so, we kind of touched on it a lot, kind of on and off so far in our conversation. But are you, we were talking a, a bit about the juxtaposition of style and concept um, mm. regarding the last record. Have you kind of moved on into any new kind of areas, thinking about juxtaposing new new oh, things yeah. together? I love trap music, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been listening to all these, you know, you know. Uh, I, I'm almost afraid of saying who I've been listening to because the moment I say it, like people are like, oh, like I lose a whole bunch, I lose a whole bunch of points. But um, just if you listen to those produ- the production of a lot of you know trap and hip hop, it's so intricate. Just you know the panning of the voices and also the just the intricacy of the actual beat of the the drum program programming. Mm-hmm. So I've been using Ableton and a Keith McMillan foot pedal to to program drum beats um, and creating a sound with electronic with keys and electric bass and voice and violin um, not to emulate that style of music but to let you know I that's you know I listen to it when I'm on my bike and you know I'm influenced by that music and uh, the feeling of that synthetic sounding snare you know, is very different than a, a drum set and you know a lot of people prefer you know, that, um, earthy sound of the acoustic kit. Um, and I do too for certain things, but this other synthetic snare has another, just another thing that I'm trying to access. Um, 
Plus, it's fun to program beats in five and eleven. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, I think I think there's a large amount of people that would disagree and say that they prefer the the digital sampled beats that in terms of people that aren't musicians. But yeah. you know, like I don't I don't think I don't think a lot of people could even tell and tell you the difference. Maybe. I mean, I think they could feel it. Like if you ask them, they'd be like, I don't know. But if you you play one thing versus another thing, they could. I imagine they can feel it. Sure. But maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, I think, if you, yeah, if you A, a B it, but just like in general. Right. But, but I think, you know, I'm not, I've, it's not a question of quality. It's just a question of, sure. you know, different. Well, that, but that's cool that uh, you're exploring that. I was kind of started dabbling, and but I kind of got in over my head with the uh, Ableton <laughs> stuff. Oh, God, Ableton, there's so many things. I can give it real simple. That 606 drum kit, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, but also like putting a whole bunch of, I found this um, thing, what is it called? Oh no, it's not drum loop, but it's called beat repeat. Okay. And so it randomizes your Ableton loops so you can interact. It's not necessarily interacting with specifically what you play, but it's randomly interacting with itself. So it might repeat the snare and it might repeat in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like a delay, or it might repeat the bass drum with a like put a extra uh, reverb on it, and so now it's as if I'm playing with a quote unquote live instrument, but it you know I, it gives me something to react to. It's like I don't know what's going to happen next. Cool. Well, yeah. I want to. I know you did that like a very small amount when I saw you in January play, right? But I, I'm looking forward to seeing what that turns into, man. Yeah. Um. So I think it's important to kind of like dispel, you know, the myths that, you know, that we kind of put certain artists up on a pedestal that they only do, you know, one thing. They only do this very artistic thing. So I'm curious to know, you know, if you might want to share some of the stuff that you're up to outside of just creating the most artistic possible music. Um, I have a wedding gig on Saturday. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I teach I teach music over at LaGuardia Performing Arts High School, and that's beautiful. I'm I'm learning to love just what it means to challenge someone in a in a healthy way, hopefully healthy, and also to be myself even with my students while maintaining that sense of you know not authority, but you know like you know. I'm leading leadership. Um, let's see what else I'm, you know, are you talking about like life stuff or you're talking about like just music outside of art, art, artist stuff? Yeah. I just meant like, you know, the things that you go into living a life as an artist that maybe Mm. aren't, aren't the thing that you try to do. Mm. I find actually that biking and, you know, taking time off helps me. Um, and being on the bike and especially by the river, just biking down and just seeing people and going out to see shows, you know, spontaneously mm-hmm. um, and, you know, running into people and texting somebody like, oh, let's meet up here, X, Y, Z. Those kind of things are very inspiring um, and ways of, they're not necessarily directly connected to music making, but it's a way of seeing the world, remembering that there's something outside of my head (laughs) and um, reflecting on a a new kind of feeling and how you might put that into sound. Um, 
Let's see, what else? I don't know. I'm just trying to learn how to play the piano. That's that's something <laughs> uh, that's helping me. Um, I'm trying to listen to as much different kind of music as possible, including this trap thing. Mm-hmm. But I just rediscovered uh, Prokofiev and his piano sonatas. Um, I oh, I just discovered this album called Unheard Bird of like his like outtake, not outtakes, but you know those like takes that don't get. <laughs> so where he's like squawking on like the third note and like just oh sure and feeling like okay about myself again. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, that's great. Um, so something that was I thought was super cool about the last record was you know, just the effort to create that unique packaging. And I know I've mentioned to you before, but um, I just thought, you know, reflecting back on it, did you, how did you kind of, I know you said you were happy with kind of how the record turned out and the press that came from it and everything, but, um, you know, there's, uh, I found another label that's doing something similar. There's, you know, this uh, pianist Fabian Almazon. Yep. His, his record label, they started doing something similar to, to what cool. your uh, idea was. Mm. But, um, so how did you kind of feel about it all? Uh, looking back on how it came out? Yeah, and just kind of how it was received in terms of like not a CD, traditional yeah. packaging. Super happy and proud of it. I mean, first of all, whenever I look at it and give it, to, I feel like I'm giving something to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's really. I mean, I put a whole bunch of thought and energy into like how it's all laid out, and you know, and what word goes where, and maybe it needs to move over like half a centimeter, and how big do the words need to be, and that's why. So I really, when I give someone a CD, it's like I am giving them something, not just trying to make some money on my work. Um, and also, I think having that packaging really helped with reviews. I think people saw that and felt like, oh, this is like automatically legit, I guess, or it feels like a authentic statement. Mm -hmm. Um, It was quite expensive, but you know, I end up selling a good amount with every show that I do. So uh, in about 10 years, they'll all be gone. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, but you know, I just feel like it's a, you know, I, I feel proud of it. I think that's the primary thing. I mean, and that's pretty amazing. Cause I was just talking to, um, a friend that was saying that they just were hanging out with John Hollenbeck and he mm-hmm. was saying about how he gets like a million CDs all the time and right. that it, they always come with these kind of like half apologetic, like, Oh, you know, like it's not exactly perfect or like, I'm not super happy with the artwork or like, I'm not this or that. And he said, like, why are you spending all this money and putting this out if it's not actually something that you're proud to give to someone? Right. And and so I'm just, uh, you know, it made me kind of consider, you know, just not to go halfway, you know, on these things. When you have an idea, like, you got to go for it all the way or don't even bother. Right. I mean, but it's it's also, I mean, that's that's back to that, like, proving it thing. Like, oh, I need to put out an album, so because I, because... (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> yeah um and you know i mean it, this album took me like seven years to put all that music together like mm-hmm. eight seven or eight years to figure this out and um you know that hopefully the next one is a, takes a little less time but um also like that idea of you got to go a hundred all the way is dangerous is beautiful but also dangerous because it's like oh it's got to be that's easily turned into it's got to be perfect Oh, sure, sure. That's not what I meant, but yeah, I right, see what you exactly. mean. 
You know what I mean? And I know I have that. I'm fighting that also all the time. You know, I listen back to this one. There's all sorts of imperfections. So I'm like, oh, that note. Oh, why that note? Oh, <laughs> why this piece? Oh, <laughs> it should be in a different order, um, et cetera. But, you know, whatever. It It's all a process. Yeah, man. So have you, I know kind of you were frustrated at the last time we kind of talked about CDs and streaming and kind of just everything have you either like has anything evolved for you in terms of how you view like where our music sits in the industry um i not i don't know i feel like no nothing's really evolved i feel like maybe the problem has become slightly clearer i think people love going to live shows so my idea would next be like why not create more video albums mm-hmm. people love watching musicians do their thing also you know people love listening to jazz like i know some people who love dexter gordon randomly specific mm-hmm. dexter gordon or you know love listening to the music of duke ellington big band you know the specific duke ellington you know um <clears throat> so people but i think we have to find like our audience and when they want to listen to this music you know, jazz is now like a thing you do. Some jazz is a thing you go to listen to, to relax, similar to like, you know, the the most relaxing classical music album. <laughs> I mean, have you seen those commercials? Oh, totally. I wonder how those sell. I bet they sell amazingly. amazingly. Yeah. And that sounds so horrible. Like, why would I want to listen? Why, you know, I'm putting all this work for you to like relax to my music. Um, that sounds horrible. But I wonder if there's something to it, you know, um, like as a starting point. Sure. You know, like, okay, let's play some music that's beautiful. And like, I'm going to listen to this while I'm eating. And then like the next tune is like, whoa, this is interesting. It's like going on a date with someone. <laughs> you know, I don't start talking about my, you know, my parent issues. Like, like, oh, good to meet you. Oh, so my father did this and my dad, my mom did this, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You know, you, you have to kind of ease into it. So I'm wondering if there's like maybe a starting point uh, where we access audiences and then from there kind of like reveal yourself. Um, sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of people will think of that as pandering. Um, but it's also just human. It's like a conversation, you know, starting a conversation. I don't know. I don't I haven't come to any conclusions. Yeah, I mean, I wonder because you, you know you're saying like people like to go to concerts, but you know, they, I guess what you said was people like to see musicians do their thing, and uh, I've just been thinking like it's so hard to get people to come out to any sort of live event that right. I think I think that the thing that makes the most sense is is video content as opposed to um, concerts or albums or anything. Um, so I'm right. kind of heading in that direction but um man thanks so much for taking some time to chat tonight i'm gonna i I want to um get all those videos and everything kind of all linked up and kind of get them back in circulation with uh with the people and our at least with our audience and kind of um hope hope to get those some more um some more life some more legs yeah thank you that's curtis stewart and i hope you enjoyed that follow-up conversation I know I really enjoyed talking to Curtis. I always do. It always makes me think about what I'm doing, kind of reassess, make sure 
I'm on the path that I want to be on. And uh, I hope maybe it helps you think about some of the projects that you're working on, maybe trying to be a little more thoughtful about your voice and what you want to put out into the world. If you haven't seen Curtis's videos, I really, 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 really hope you go and check them out. Go to YouTube and uh, just search up Curtis J. Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, and Curtis with a C, C C-U-R-T-I-S. And look up those videos he was talking about. The three videos that I mentioned, he has one that is a Bach reworking of a film that was taken in a church, which is pretty cool. It goes along really well with the audio soundtrack. And there's one uh, that's a very kind of artistic view of one of these pieces. I won't give too much away. And the third is the dance piece, all of which are really well done. If you like music, if you like short films, they're definitely going to be up your alley. So please go and check those out and please share them uh, with your audiences and with your friends because uh, Curtis's work really does need to get out there and you should definitely check it out. It's very interesting and well thought out. If you want to get involved with Curtis's social action party, you can find it pretty easily if you go to either the Outside In Music Facebook page or go to Curtis's Facebook page or kind of search on the Facebook bar for social action party and you'll find that if you want to get involved be sure to send curtis an email if you want to get get involved whether you're here in new york city or if you're elsewhere and want to bring curtis or you want to start your own chapter of that organization i know it's new and growing but uh, i'm sure by the time that you're hearing this more things will have transpired and it'll be even more important for us as artists to have those conversations. So thanks to Curtis for bringing that up. And once again, thanks to Curtis for chatting with me. And I'm hoping that you all enjoy this conversation. Send me an email. Let me know what you think of these conversations. And maybe you have some some suggestions of who you'd like to hear talk about, you know, their music and their art and their process. And we can make that happen right here on the Over Here podcast from Outside In Music. My name is Nick Finzer. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.